Well, you're in for a surprise tonight, some of you. Some of you already knew I was going to speak tonight. Um, the, uh, this week has, or the few days that we've had away has been excellent, and Bishop Reed has really um, spoken very well and very firmly to the fathers. And he had them up on the front few rows, and he didn't let them waste time or ha take time to look after their children and perhaps quickly take a child out of the meeting so that they didn't have to hear what he had to say. And um, it, they were made to sit on the front few rows and they were made to listen. And um, he had some fairly hard things to say. He compared the lives of Eli and Samuel and how God, Eli was a, an example of a bad father and someone who didn't listen to God and how Samuel was the example of someone who was a priest after God's heart and who did listen and who did want to do what God said. And um, I'm just going to round up with some practical things about bringing up children since the family, it was for families, the holiday. And um, I'm going to start with a quote from a lady called um, dear, oh dear. Anyway, it doesn't matter who she's called. I'll quick quote from her. Child is, childhood is a short, sweet season. Live it fully, teach your children passionately, and you will all look to the future with confidence. Childhood is a short, sweet season. Live it fully, teach your children passionately, and you will all look forward to the future with confidence. It's true that children pass through your hands very quickly. You can't, you're amazed from one year to the next how they grow, how they're developing, what they've done in the short period of time that they've been at school that year, how much they've got, uh, progressed, how much they've changed. Watching the grandchildren grow up, I'm amazed what they can do from one week to the next. And it brings back the memories of what it was like to have the children before. But they do change so quickly, and life passes by so quickly. And your children are a precious gift from God. Enjoy them when you have them, because soon they're gone. Don't think of children as a chore. Children are a wonderful gift from God. They really are. And the way to make them enjoyable is to have a happy, disciplined home where everyone can enjoy each other, where we can all come to a place, where we can all enjoy each other's company. Instead of having fights and arguments and shoutings and all these other things that mean that your children become a chore, children become a nuisance, children become a weight upon us. And instead of do what they should be, which is a real delight and a joy to have. And I'm having spent a week with the grandchildren, I've had a great time. I've really enjoyed it. And they're such fun. 
children should be fun. Children should be enjoyed. Children should be a pleasure and a delight. And I'm sure most of the time for you, your children are. But if you're finding them mature, if you're finding them a nuisance, if you're finding them a heavy weight, if you're finding, oh dear, I don't know what to do next. What can I do about my children? I suggest you think seriously about what you are doing with them if they're like that. Let's look at Psalm 103, verse 17 to 18. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. And his righteousness unto children's children. This is something that's not just for your children, this is something for your children's children. If you bring your children up right, they can pass it on to their children. If you have a happy home now with your children, they're much more likely to have a happy home with their children. They're much more likely to know how to carry on in the ways of discipline and the ways of training. If you've done it a good job with your children. So it's, you're not just concentrating on one generation, you're, con you're sowing the ground and you're preparing the ground for the future generation. You're doing a twofold, if not threefold job for the future generations. So what you're doing is very important. It isn't just for now, it's for the future. And what you're doing is very precious, very delightful, very wonderful. And God has given you these special gifts of children. Each one that God gives you is a special gift. And when you hear people like Bill Wilson, who talk about how the children are just thrown away and not cared for and not loved, and yet how they, he who was thrown away and rejected as a child, cares for so many who are in a similar situation, but God's given you children. You have special gifts from him that he regards as your responsibility to bring up in the fear and admonition of God. And so don't kind of think, well, I haven't got a responsibility like someone like Bill Wilson's got. There's, oh, look at all those poor children that have got have got to, haven't got no homes and I've got to give money and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. You've got three, two, one precious gift from God yourself. And you have a very big responsibility and a wonderful responsibility that God has given you. And it's very important that you understand that it's very precious what God has given you. And I'll quote from Bill Wilson's book, Finally, we learn to focus on the one thing that we do best. In my case, it is to influence the lives of children one at a time.
to influence the lives of children one at a time. You have in your care precious gifts from God that you can learn to influence for the right one at a time. God hasn't overloaded you with too much responsibility unless you have a very large family and none of us are like that here, I don't think. But you have the ability to concentrate on each child one at a time, one at a time. And to develop each child with their special gifts one at a time. To develop each child how God wants you to develop them, one at a time. Very, very special, very special gifts from God. I want to read from his book as well, a more lengthy quote. Our target ages are children from 5 to 12 years of age. The 9 and 10, 11 year old students make up the largest attendance. If we are going to see a transformation in the coming generation, we've got to instill values while the children are young. We concentrate on what we do best and believe that when the, the, those we train become parents, they will make a real difference. When a young person reaches the age of 14 or older, it is almost too late. The die has been cast. I believe in preventative medicine. It's a lot easier to make boys and girls than to repair men and women. So his whole philosophy is to catch them as young as possible. And to be honest, I, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you will know that we've always emphasized and always told you that it's important to start as young as possible with each child. Obviously, that from, from our, about 12 months old, they need to start to learn what the word no means. And they need to start to learn that no means no. However you get that into their heads, you need to learn to teach them that from the very word go. And it's most important. And with my children, I never, as they grew older, I never allowed them to answer no to me. Never. Never. If they answered no, when I asked them to do something, that was a serious offence, serious. And however I administered the discipline, sometimes I would make a joke out of it and tease them until they got to the stage where they would say yes, but very often it was a direct thing to say, excuse me, what did you say? And make sure that they understood that no was not a word they used to mummy. And if you teach your children very early on that that's a no-no, <laughs> you will find that they uh, are very pleasant children to deal with. They just are, are a delight to have. Instead of 
getting irritated with them instead of getting to the stage where you, they get annoyed with them because they won't do what you say. If you start early on to make sure that they understand that no is no, and you mean it, you will find that they, you have a much more pleasant life with your children. In the school, we've have, we have a bit of a problem now because we've not, I mean, it's, uh, the government has said that no longer is there any, to be any form of corporal punishment in schools. And so we depend more than ever upon the parents to bring the discipline to the children because we're not allowed to do anything to, in that line to assist the children in doing what they're told. <laughs> and so we do rely on you parents to bring that discipline into your home so that we have the backup of you parents in the school because otherwise we will find that there'll be fewer and fewer things that you can bring against the child in order to change their behavior. And the parents are still the main source of discipline, the main source of training. Discipline and training are security for the child. We tend to think that somehow you're going to be cruel to a child if you are train them and discipline them, but it's not true. They bring a great deal of security to a child. They, bring, they know where the boundaries are. They know that you are loving enough to create boundaries for them. You care enough to make the effort to create boundaries for them. Because it does take effort to make boundaries for children. It does take a little bit more effort to actually get up out of the chair, sort a situation out, instead of just leaving them to carry on. When they start fighting with one another in the home, you have to actually get up, deal with it, sort them out, get them uh, occupied with something else instead of fighting each other. But it takes effort. And sometimes when you're tired, you can't be bothered. But with each child, you ha with each situation, you must take the effort and you must take the trouble to deal with each situation. You cannot afford to leave it just because you're not feeling particularly bright and cheery that day. You're not feeling that you've had a bad night maybe with the children. Whatever it is, whatever excuse you make to yourself for not dealing with the situation, you pay. It's crazy. You pay because you've got that, de that situation doubled and trebled the next time the thing happens. And then you have a, the children screaming around the house and you think, ah, what am I going to do? But it's because you didn't deal with the first situation that you've got the second situation. So if you start where the trouble is, and you deal with the trouble where, there, where it is, and deal with the situation where it is, you will find that things get progressively better and better and better in the home. Hebrews talks about God's method of discipline. Now, don't think that we're suggesting discipline as an awful thing and that 
We need to learn from the Bible where God, because God disciplines his children. And it's very difficult for us to understand that God disciplines us because the sensitive souls here will think, oh dear, every time something goes wrong, they'll think, oh, what's God trying to teach me? And so often, that's, people take it so wrong that it, it's a kind of superstition that every, everything, every time something goes wrong, God must be wanting to bash me over the head. But God's not like that. But he does discipline his children. He is a loving heavenly father. He does discipline them. Let's look at um, Hebrews where it talks about it. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 5. forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto, unto you as unto children. My son, despise, thou, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh who, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight, for your, straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So God, as our loving Heavenly Father, chastens us. There are times when we do make a big boo-boo. There are times when we do make a big mess up. There are times when we do go wrong in, in the Christian life. And what would, how dreadful it would be if God didn't ever tell us that we'd gone wrong. It would be awful if he left us to our own devices and let us just wander around, feel it, not knowing which way we were supposed to go. The Bible talks about you, want, you go forward and you're walking and that you'll hear a voice behind you if you've gone wrong. 
God's going to tell you, hey, that's wrong. You've done the wrong thing. But wouldn't you rather God told you that than let you wander off and do nothing about it? You'd much rather know when you've gone wrong. You'd much rather have your conscience bother you to tell you, hey, this is wrong. You'd much rather have someone say to you, hey, this is, you've made a big mess up here, but once God's told you he's made a, you've made a mess up, he tells you the way out of it. He's not going to bash you over the head and say, that's it, you're in hell now forevermore. He's not like that, but he is our loving Heavenly Father, and he does correct us. He really does, and I'm grateful he corrects us. I'm glad he corrects me when I make mistakes and when I go wrong. If I didn't have him there, I'd feel most insecure. If I didn't know he was going to correct me when I went wrong, I'd feel terrible. If I didn't think he was caring enough for me to tell me, I wouldn't know, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to be a Christian, to be honest. Because I love and I trust my Heavenly Father. And I know he's not going to bash me over the head with a two by four every time I go wrong, do some slight mistake. But he is going to tell me when I go wrong. And I'm glad for it. He is going to tell me, hey, you've walked out of the way. And thank, thank God that he cares enough to do that. And how much more with our own children that God has given us. We can't let them wander off and do their own thing. We can't leave them with no security and no boundaries. We can't let them just go off and never tell them, hey, this is wrong. We have to, because we love them. If you look at it in your, from your own perspective, the security of knowing that God's your loving Heavenly Father and that he will correct you if you've gone wrong is tremendous. I'm full of confidence in the way I walk because I know that if I've gone wrong, God will tell me. I, I have never any doubt as to what, whether he'll tell me. I know he will because he loves me. I know he'll tell me. And so how much more for our own children should we spend the effort and the time and take the trouble to correct them and guide them and train them. We need to do that because we have such a wonderful example with our own Heavenly Father. I want someone there that I know will tell me, hey, Ruth, that's wrong. My conscience tells me that. I know very well when I've done something wrong. And you see, what happens when, the, when God speaks in your conscience and tells you, hey, this isn't right? With that, he gives you the power to do what's right. He doesn't... Conviction is a wonderful thing because with it, he gives you the power to go right. Condemnation is different. Condemnation is from the enemy, which makes you feel bad and terrible and awful and you don't feel as though you'll never get over this problem and you'll never be able to get yourself out of it and you'll never make a difference and you're always going to be the same. You're, it's, this problem is never going to go away. That's condemnation. If God convicts you about something that's wrong in your life, 
he gives you the power to change it. It's not as though you, he's going to bash you over the head and say, you've done it wrong, you're condemned to hell now and forevermore. He gives you the power to change it. So if you know something is wrong in your life, if you know that God is put, putting his finger on something, he really means it so that you can change. And in the same way with our children, we're not there to bash them over the head and wallop them every time they go wrong. We're doing it so that we can show them a different way of going about things. When your children argue with each other, you don't just tell them stop arguing. You give a constructive answer for the reason what they're, why they're arguing. Maybe you need to teach them to share. Maybe you need to teach them to take turns. Whatever it is, you don't just say stop arguing, full stop, bash, bash, that's it. You have to find a constructive way out of it. And with God, he gives us a constructive way out of every time he disciplines us or tells us we've gone wrong. And so with your own children, how much more should you do that? Because your loving Heavenly Father is prepared to do it for you. He cares for you. He loves you. And he'll do it for you. And he'll tell you. And he'll care that much that he bothers to let you know when you've gone wrong. And if you think of all the millions of people in the world, isn't it amazing that God cares that much for you? And he loves you that much. He loves you that much. How much more should we love our children enough to put the boundaries there, to put the restraints there, to give them alternative ways of going about things, to put something constructive in instead of something negative, and teaching them values and standards and ways to go on in life, for them to pass on to their children and for them to pass on to their children's children. It says that no chastening for the present seemeth joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When you do let God discipline you, when you do let God, when you do say, hey, okay, Lord, I am wrong. That's your tr you're right. I need to change this method of behavior or whatever's gone wrong. I need to change it. When you change it, when you repent, when you turn around and do it, go in the opposite direction, it's great. It's wonderful. It brings the peaceable fruits of righteousness. There's so much pleasure in doing what God wants you to do. There really is. And I don't know how we get in a muddle thinking it wouldn't be pleasurable, but we do. But once you've turned around, it's so pleasurable to do what God wants you to do. And it says here in verse 19, but he for our profit, it's for your profit, it's to add to you. Profit's a good thing, isn't it, huh? As all business people know, it's good to have more profit in your life. 
Well, I'm telling you, one of the ways to get more profit in your life is to let God discipline you. And one of the ways of adding to your children in their life is to take the trouble to train them and to discipline them, to teach them the right way to go about things, to teach them, to bother to teach them what is what the way God wants them to behave. Let's look at Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayst live long on the earth. God makes a promise to children. He says, If you obey your parents in the Lord, then you will, it will be well with you, and you will live long on the earth. And who's going to teach them to obey their parents? You are as parents, aren't you? And if you want your child it to be well with your child on the earth, if you want them to live long on the earth and it, for, it, for it to be well with them, you have to challenge your children sometimes. You have to be prepared to teach them carefully and diligently what is the right way to go about things. You have to take the time, the trouble, and the effort to do it. And you, because you want it to be well with your child, you want God's promise for them. You want their days to be long on the earth. You want them to be well-rounded, well-adjusted human beings that can contribute to society. You want that for your children. Let's look at Colossians. Oh, let's last the first four here before we turn to Colossians. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I looked up the word admonition in the dictionary, and the definition is to reprove firmly but not harshly. To reprove firmly but not harshly. And that's what Paul's referring to. If you're too harsh with your children, then you will provoke them to wrath. You don't want to do that, but you do want to teach them what is the right way to go. So you need to reprove firmly but not harshly. Don't go over the top. Just because you're angry, don't lash out at the child. Ang anger is a positive emotion if you treat it right. Ang God gives us anger to deal with situations. Otherwise, you wouldn't get up and deal with a situation with the children because you just sit back in the chair and let it happen. But when they get you to the point where you're angry with them, the anger is there so that you'll deal with the situation calmly and but firmly. 
The anger isn't there so that you'll lash out at the children and whack, 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 boom, 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 and then leave them and, and then leave the crying mess behind you. It's there for you to deal with the situation. It's there. It's to give you the impetus to actually get out of your chair and do something about it. Otherwise, we won't. We're inherently lazy, and we won't do something about it. So anger is a positive emotion if you deal with it rightly, but don't let it become something that makes you that provokes your your children to wrath back again, that provokes your children to think that you are totally unfair in your dealings with them, that provokes your children to constantly feel that you're getting at them, you're on a, on their case, and they can't do anything right. There's nothing worse for a child than to feel that they can't do anything right. So to admonish is to reprove firmly, but not harshly. Let's look at Proverbs 13, 24. Oh, we were going to go back, sorry. We're going to go to um, Colossians next. Colossians 3, verse 20. Again, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And verse 21 says the same thing that I was talking about from Ephesians. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. If you have to tell a child more than once about something, then you've failed. <laughs> you've failed, not the child. Because <laughs> you didn't get your message home in the first place. And so the Bible talks about don't provoke your children to, to wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. If you go on and on and on at the child for the same old thing, time after time after time after time, it's not the child who's the problem, it's you. And when you do go on at the child over and over and over and over again about the same thing, then they do get discouraged. Don't just tell them they've gone wrong. You need to find a way, positive way through it for them. Tell them how to go right. Show them a way around it. Show them what to do. Show them the solution for their problem. But you cannot, whatever you do, don't get to the stage where you totally discourage your child about a particular problem in their life. That's hopeless. That's not what God intends us to do. When he brings conviction into our lives, it's for a positive reason. It's to bring about the peaceable fruits of righteousness. It's for our profit. And that's what it should be when we deal with our children. Okay, let's look at Proverbs 13.
and verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Chasteneth him betimes, chasteneth him at the appropriate moment, deals with it then, betimes, at the, point, at the moment that it's happening. Not, don't leave a situation with children and threaten your children when you're a mother at home with them. Wait till your father comes home, he'll deal with you. The poor child has to wait all day, dreading the moment daddy comes home. That's terrible. Don't do that to them. Deal with the child at that moment, at that time, when, with, when the problem has happened. Don't threaten them with daddy when he comes home. Poor daddy's had enough to do at work and all the rest of it. He doesn't want to come home and be the ogre. <laughs> there will be times when your husband, you will need the backing of your husband, but it's much better if he actually hears the child doing it to you and deals with it there and then because he's there. Not because you've told him what the child has done. But the husband needs, and Bishop Reed was very careful to stress this with the husband, they do need to back the wife up in her discipline. They do need to give her the security of knowing that if I really can't cope with the situation, my husband will have the solution. He'll have the answer and he'll deal with the child. If, if ever my children back answered me, and Michael happened to overhear it, he was down on them like a ton of bricks. They didn't dare back answer me. And that was the security that I had, that I had a husband there who would really deal with the situation. And many people say to me, why does, why does, um, how is it that um, Bishop, I can't do this, I, I didn't, don't know, I wasn't brought up properly, I didn't have good parents, I don't know how to go about this. It, it's all too much for me to do. But Bishop Reed didn't have an excellent upbringing. He didn't have, his father was, died when he was eight. He was put in a boarding school at that stage. He didn't know, he was very indulged as a child. If ever you've heard him tell stories about what he and his brother got up to, it's unbelievable. <laughs> And his father was very soft on him. So he didn't have the background to know what to do. So don't make the excuse, well, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I, I had a terrible upbringing. I don't know what to do. You can't make that excuse. I was the one who was supposed to have had a Christian upbringing. And he taught me how to bring up the children. <laughs> So each one of you, and where did he get it from? He got it from the book. He got it from God's principles. It always used to amaze me where he knew, where he, how he knew what to do. But he always knew what to do. And you fathers, you've got the same opportunity as him. You just look in the book. Find it in God's word. It's all there. You can't make the excuse, well, I don't know what to do. I didn't have a good upbringing. It's all there in the book. 
God doesn't leave you without any instructions. He knows it's an important facet of family life. He knows it's one of the most important things that you and I could ever do, is bringing up our children in the fear and admission of God. He's not going to let you go without instructions to tell you how to do it. That'd be crazy. It's all in the book, and it's all there for us to learn. And each one of you can learn. Each one of you can find out what's necessary from the book, from what God says, in order to bring up our families and to bring up our children right. My parents were supposed to be good Christian parents, and my mother absolutely refused to smack us. That was it. No one was going to be smacked in the family. And uh, for that reason, I found it very hard when I grew up when I, and actually became a Christian to accept the disciplines of God. I was very rebellious. When I first got married, I discovered I had the most terrible temper because <laughs> no one had ever said no to me before. <laughs> and I sulked and I pouted and I... Oh, goodness me, I discovered I was a very, not the angel I thought I was. And there's nothing like marriage for finding that out. <laughs> Because no one had ever said no to me. I'd always got my own way. But that's not the way to, to bring up a child. That's what my parents thought. I can remember my father did smack me about twice in my life. But if my mother had known, he would have been for it. It amused me when I was um, asked to speak at a conference recently, and um, the title of the conference was Behold the Goodness of God. And it was from a quote from Romans. So I thought, but that's not, I didn't know that was in the Bible. So I thought, let me look that verse up. And so I looked it up, and it's in Romans 11, 22. And it says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on those, on them which fell severity, but unto thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Well, we all love the goodness of God. Oh, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> but when the Bible talks about severity as well, that is not a good idea. <laughs> but there are, that's the two sides of God. The goodness and the severity. He doesn't let you get away with things. He doesn't let you run around like a spoilt child. 
He doesn't let you get away with things that you need to be corrected about. But to be honest, I'd love, I'd, I'd much rather God be like that. Not treat me like a spoiled child. Not let me get away with things I don't need to get away with. Not let me go and ruin myself. I want a God that disciplines. I want a God that tells me when I've gone wrong. I want to God the security of knowing that when I walk, he's going to tell me when I've walked. A voice from behind is going to tell me, hey, you've gone out of the way. Walk, this is the way to walk. Hey, you've gone wrong. Let's get back to the center again. I'd much rather have a God like that who told me when I'd gone wrong. Who, who showed me the severe side of his nature as well as his goodness. And it just amused me that this quotation didn't talk about the severity of God, just the goodness of God. And he is good. He is wonderfully good. And he is so loving and so caring. But part of the way he shows us how much he cares is that he bothers to tell us when we've gone wrong. And he directs us and he guides us. And we need to translate that into action for our children. We need to bother to tell them when they've gone wrong. We need to bother to care enough to show them the right way to go. We need to bother to care enough to give them alternatives for the way they're behaving. We need to care enough for everything in their lives. And one of the ways we have to care is to care enough to train and to discipline. Let's look at um, Proverbs 13 and verse 18. And if you want some good things about training children, read Proverbs every I think Bishop Reed recommends you read it every week because it's full of good advice as to how to train your children. And verse 18. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honoured. And verse 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. We want, don't want poverty and shame and destruction to come upon our children. We want the opposite for them. We want it to be well with them. We want the promises of God to come to them. We want them to know God as a loving Heavenly Father. We want them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We want them to know that they, they need a Savior. If you never discipline your child, they'll never find out they're a sinner. If you never show them where they've gone wrong, they'll never find out how much they need a saviour. They really won't. And 
And so you're doing them a disservice if you let them get away with things, if you just carry on ignoring their behavior, if you just, for peace sake, don't have a confrontation. You're not teaching your child that they need a savior. You're not teaching a child why Jesus shed his precious blood for them. You're not teaching them why. The necessity is for them to come and say sorry. You're not teaching them that when they've said sorry, love is given them and then they're restored to fellowship again with you and with God. You're not teaching them the mechanics of salvation. So we need to be careful to understand that when we do discipline our children, when we do train them, we're teaching them about a much more wonderful love that God has for us, in that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us while we were yet sinners. And if they don't understand that they're a sinner, they won't know that wonderful love, that wonderful way in which God sent his only son for us to die for us. So please, parents, and fathers in particular, as in which Bishop Reed so emphasized this week, do take the trouble to train and discipline your children. Do take the trouble to care enough. You've only got them for such a short space of time. And they're such wonderful, wonderful gifts from God. I've got five things that discipline will do on training will do in your home. It will bring harmony in the home. It will bring security and boundaries for the child. It will bring an atmosphere where love can be expressed. If you're constantly shouting at your children, and husband and wife are shouting at each other and arguing about this and that and the other, what opportunity do you have to express love to your child? You don't have any opportunity because there's such an atmosphere, bad atmosphere in the home, you never have an opportunity to express love to your children. Whereas if the home is disciplined, ordered, and you're training your children right, you've got so much time to express love to them. You've got so much time to express care for them. You've got so much time to show them which is the right way to go. But if always there's contention and fighting and bad attitudes and all that in the home, there's no opportunity to express love. And the most important thing we want to do is to show the children that they're loved and cared for and that they are the precious gift that God has given us. Number four, well, number in that an atmosphere where the love can be expressed. If you, I found as a wife and a mother that it brought great security to me. I knew that if there was a situation that I couldn't deal with, with the children, 
Michael would back me up, 100%. I knew that he would, or else if I'd, if I'd gone wrong in the discipline, he would show me the right way. I didn't know everything. I was, brought up, I was trained as a social worker. And in, the tra in my training that I had in the secular things, it was all to do with psychology and so on. And I was taught that you mustn't restrain a child, you mustn't do anything to stop their creative ability. And from my mother, you must never smack them. And that was the whole ethos under which I was brought up. So I needed to learn a different way of, of disciplining children. I needed to learn a different way of training children. And I didn't always get it right at the beginning, particularly. And so I needed my husband to be able to tell me, hey, that, you've done it wrong. This is the way to do it. This is the way to start with a child. This is how you cope with, it, with this situation. And I found a tremendous security in the fact that Michael was prepared to take the time to teach me too. And we need, and wives and mothers need the security of knowing that I can rely on my husband to take the lead, to deal with the children when it's necessary, and to help me and back me up 100% not take their side against mine, not take, take partiality for one particular child, not do things that are going to bring about that tension and that horrible disharmony in the home. And what brings the wonderful thing is that when there is that harmony in the home, you have an opportunity to express love and the wonders of family life together. Number four, discipline brings orderliness, orderliness in a child's life. And Proverbs 16, verse 32, Bishop Reed quoted from it this week. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh city. If you show your child the right way to control your anger, to use your anger positively, to use your anger in the way that God intends you to use it, he says, be angry and sin not. If you teach your child from the way you've disciplined them, from the way you've um, trained them, then they will have a discipline, a self-discipline, an understanding of how to cope with the difficulties of life. And they, you will have taught them such valuable lessons as they grow up of a disciplined spirit, how to control their own spirit. And that is the most valuable thing you can give to a child how they can control their anger to go positively, how they can do what's right in this life and stand up for what they believe and not be afraid to say what they believe. And last of all, discipline teaches a child to reverence God and others in authority, police, 
teachers, the law, etc. Gives them a basis for being in society. Teaches them that other, there are other authorities other than the parents. And it teaches them the right way of approaching these authorities with confidence that they'll be dealt with rightly, with confidence that they can approach anyone, with confidence that they're loved and cared for, and to know that they need to reverence each authority that God has placed over them. Last end with the quote that I started with. Childhood is a short, sweet season. Live it fully. Teach your children passionately and you will all look to the future with confidence.